Has anyone in here ever been to a, either a murder mystery dinner or an escape room? Raise your hand. Okay, fairly good amount. That's pretty good. Okay, I just, um, I just had my first murder mystery dinner back in January when I turned my big Hawaiian birthday, the big Hawaiian 5-0. Okay, and, uh, and so we, that was a lot of fun. And um, I've never been in an escape room. I think my ego may be damaged if I did, so I may not go there. We'll see. Uh, but here's, here's the setup. Father Time has been murdered, and you have 24 hours to find the killer. But little do you know that once the villain is apprehended, his victim will be miraculously resurrected from the dead. No, this isn't a murder mystery, mystery or an escape room. It's a lesson of missed opportunities and misplaced priorities. It's about a special time between Passover and Pentecost that contains blessings that many people miss out on. And can time die? Think about that. Can time die? And can it be resurrected? Let's take a look at this mystery and work it out together. First of all, time. When you talk about time, you can get really deep really quick and get really philosophical and make everybody think you're really smart, right? <clears throat> I'm not going to do that. <clears throat> so I'm just going to say time in general, the, the general understanding of time. And so we're in, in this book, I was, I'm going to do a punny, but I missed it out, missed out my opportunity. I was going to say it isn't time to talk about that. But anyway, so <clears throat> we're going to talk about the subject of the death of time, the death of time. What do I mean by that? Have you ever heard, have you ever asked somebody what they're doing and they said, oh, just killing time? How many of you ever actually said that yourself? Honesty here. <clears throat> so, um, and as we know, it means that we're basically, we're wasting time, right? We're doing something uh, maybe we're waiting on something to happen or whatever, and we're just sort of wasting time uh, until something, another event or whatever. But I want you to realize this. This one thing that we are doing when we're actually not doing anything means that we're actually wasting the most precious resource that we've been given. Unlike other resources, once used, time can never be replenished. Do you realize that? It can never be replenished. You can spend money. You can um, eat food or whatever, and we can grow more food. We can earn more money. But time will never get back. It's gone. It's used. <clears throat> so there's an interesting uh, correlation of how the ancient sages of Israel looked at time, okay? They understood time in various aspects, and, and, and it can get very deep very quickly. But one of the things I want to focus on today, just to give you this frame of reference, is that they saw time, and one aspect of it, as a wedding banquet. They saw this present world and the time that we have as a wedding banquet. Now, before I do that, let me just say that most of the things that we do within Messianic Judaism, Judaism, is that we sort of look at time as being more cyclical, right? Because God gave us the feasts and the festivals, 
and, and certain special days <clears throat> on the calendar, and we repeat those year after year after year. I'm going to think about it. Six days of the week, and then the seventh or the Shabbat, the Sabbath, right? And so <clears throat> every week, we sort of relive, it's not like Groundhog Day or anything, but we sort of relive this opportunity of resting in God's presence and coming into his presence and taking that um, opportunity to, to really commune with him, to study his Torah, study his words, study scripture, to pray, to fellowship, and have wonderful foods and things like that. So in that, in that sense, time is often cyclical when we think about it, because we have once a week Shabbat, we have the new moon every month, we have um, the festivals, you know, throughout the year, and those just keep repeating and re- repeating. But, you know, God's, God's calendar is set up that way to remind us. Now, this is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about our opportunity in life in general. And the Talmud has something to say about this. Shmuel said to Rav Yehuda, learned once, he's saying, you're wise, and I want to t- tell you something. He says, grab and eat grab and drink because this world from which we depart is like a wedding celebration. You're like, what in the world? Okay. As rabbi would said, those dirty Jews, they're talking about hedonism, right? Um, but this is often something that's misunderstood and we need to understand it properly and try to figure out what's going on here. So Shmuel said to Rabbi Yehuda, said, grab and eat, grab and drink, because this world in, from which we depart is like a wedding celebration. Yeshua actually said something a little similar in his parable of the dishonest manager in Luke 16. Yeshua said this. He tells his disciples, I tell you something. No, I'm sorry. He tells them something that's baffled uh, theologians for centuries. He said, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. What in the world? Right? I mean, I thought the first one was confusing with the Talmud. Now, Yeshua, he's even more confusing. So, the, the way that this phrase from the Talmud is traditionally explained may help us to understand Yeshua's teaching. So many commentators explain that this quote from the Talmud, it doesn't refer to the physical pleasures in the world. Don't go out and just gluttonize. That's not what it's talking about. Um, But it's referring to the performance of good deeds. That a person should spend his money on mitzvot. What are mitzvot? Commandments or good deeds, okay? A person should spend his money on the commandments, on the good deeds, on things that are valuable, of eternal value, and charitable, charitable acts as soon as he possibly can because he might die suddenly and then it'll be too late. Okay? So you may have heard this phrase, carpe diem. <laughs> right? And now that's been overused and it's cliche and all that kind of stuff. But at the heart of it is let's not miss an opportunity. Now, a lot of times we don't want to miss an opportunity to fill in the blank. And it has to do with sensuality, pleasures of this world. But we need to be so super heightened in our sensitivity that we don't want to miss out 
on an opportunity to please God in this world, to sow and reap eternal benefits. This world is temporal and merely the blink of an eye compared to the eternity of the world to come. Now, I'm going to have to go over here. Let me say, I actually can use this. And if you have your Bible, please turn with me. And I'm going to read a couple of Yeshua's teachings in the Gospel of Luke that are here together. And we're going to look at um, Luke chapter 12, in which he has this, excuse me, this double parable here that confuses his disciples. Luke chapter 12 beginning in verse 35. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit like people waiting for their master's return after a wedding feast so that when he comes and knocks, they will open the door for him without delay. Happy the slaves whom their master finds alert when he comes back. Yes, I tell you, he will put on his work clothes, seat them at the table and come serve them himself. Whether it is late at night or early in the morning, if this is how he finds them, those slaves are happy. But notice this. No house owner would let his house be broken into if he knew when the thief was coming. You too be ready, for the Son of Man will come when you're not expecting him. Now, his disciples, of course, are like, oh, this is confusing. So help us out. Kepha, or Peter, said, sir, or master, says, are you telling this parable for our benefit only or for everyone's? In other words, is this something we're supposed to be getting or is this something that's a broader audience that we should understand but we really don't? The master replied, knew, and, and sort of means like, oh, foolish or, or something like that. Who is the faithful and sensible manager whose master puts him in charge of the household staff to give them their share of food at the proper time? It will go well with that servant if he is found doing his job when the master comes. Yes, I tell you, that he will put him in charge of all he owns. But here's the kicker. But if that servant says to himself, my master is taking his time coming and starts bullying the men and women servants and eating and drinking and getting drunk, um, then his master will come on a day when the servant isn't expecting him at the time he doesn't know in advance. His master will cut him in two and put him with the disloyal. Okay? Now, I'm going to stop right there. There's some more we could read. But you get my point. Too many times in this world, we live by the principle, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So we try to consume as much, suck as much of this world out as we can. But really, that phrase is the opposite of what Yeshua and the rabbis are teaching. <clears throat> They're not saying we need to consume as much, but we need to give as much. We're, we're to make the most of every day. Make the most of every opportunity. The biblical version of this phrase is eat, drink, and bless God. Because within Judaism... Everything that we enjoy in this life needs to be accompanied by a blessing. We thank God for everything, because it's not by our own hands. It's not by our own strength. It's not by our own creativity, intelligence, or whatever uh, that we achieve, that we grab the pleasures from this earth. It's simply God's blessing, His hand in our life. 
And to that effect, Jewish wisdom actually says that we will be held accountable for every permissible pleasure in this world that we didn't enjoy and bless God for. Bizarre, huh? Okay? It's like, well, I made that for you. Why didn't you enjoy it? It's like, I gave you that gift. Why didn't you enjoy it? But sometimes we think, just, I'm going to stick to this right here. I have this tunnel vision, this focus. Now, this isn't mean going crazy on certain things. Remember, every permissible thing, every permissible thing that we did not enjoy. So this world and everything in it was created for our pleasure, not for our abuse, okay? You've heard things like, you only live once. What about, we only regret the chances we didn't take? Now, this guy, I mean, a few people know him. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Some guy named Socrates. <laughs> but um, he said the unexamined life is not worth living. Now, that's, I think that's spot on. I mean, we have to be intentional in our lives. Here's another phrase I like. Don't wait for the perfect moment. Take the moment and make it perfect. Here's a concept I want you to... to sort of grasp onto. Every day is another page in the story of your life. Is it an adventure, a thriller, a mystery, a romance, or a traffic report? <laughs> or worse, a horror, horror novel. <laughs> Every day, this is, I've told my children since I don't know how long, I've told my children this, every day we are given $24 to spend any way we want. And those $24 are the hours of the day. We're given 24 symbolic dollars to spend however we want. And unfortunately, most people just go, right? Just blow it. And they go to the candy store and they load up. Or whatever. Or they, I don't know, Just it's just wasted. That's my point. So I want you to think about what you've been doing with those $24 that you've been, giving, been given. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, he says, look carefully then how you walk, and this means how you live. This is a Jewish way of saying things. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of Here's our key word, time, because the days are evil. And some of you guys may have memorized the old King James and some version that says, redeem the time, right? Because the days are evil. And so it's the same concept. We don't waste it. We redeem it. We make the most of it. We have the perfect opportunity to do this right now during this period between Passover and Shavuot. It's called Sifrat HaOmer, which means what? Counting the Omer. Okay, some of you guys know, some of you guys, guys that may be completely new to, to you, but we're in a period of time called the counting of the Omer. And then towards instructions in Leviticus 23, we begin counting from the second day of Passover until we count 49 days total, and it leads up to or Pentecost. And I'm going to, let me just grab this again. I'm going to read that instruction to you. Leviticus 23, 
beginning in verse 9, if you want to follow along. The Lord said to Moses, Tell the the children of Israel, after you enter the land I am giving you to harvest its ripe crops, you are to bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the Kohen, to the priest. So that word sheaf, you guys, many of you grew up bringing in the sheaves or something to that nature, right? That word sheaf is the Hebrew word omer. Omer is a high is a is a measure of dry it's a dry measure volume okay and my lovely wife said hey it'd be great if people could actually see this right and so an omer is a a volume of the wheat harvest and they're called wheat berries that you would bring in so guess what i have right here okay so this is roughly uh an equivalent of an omer of grain. And this particular event that we're talking about is the wheat harvest, okay? We've just had the barley harvest at Passover, around Passover, and now we've worked our way and we're working up to the wheat harvest, okay? And so you would harvest a, just an omer of grain from the fields, and this would be offered up to the Lord every single day in the counting of the omer, of, or the bringing in the sheaves, okay? And this is what this is. I want to give, give you guys a visual. So I want to just I'll just put it right there, okay? And um, with this, get my stuff out of the way here, making a mess. Um, the it would be offered to the to the priest, and the priest would offer it to the Lord. Let's continue our scripture real quick. Verse eleven: He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord. So here we go. I don't know how that would exactly work, but let's, you know, something like that. Um, so that it will be, you will be accepted. The Kohen, or the priest, is to wave it on the day after the Shabbat. And there's a lot of discussion about this, and there's people that are belligerent about the interpretation of this, but we go by the interpretation that uh, the Pharisees um, used, which was the uh, interpretation Yeshua and his disciples used, and that way they could all be together on the same day, okay, uh, for Pentecost. On the day that you wave the sheaf, you are to offer a male lamb without defect in its first year as a burnt offering for the Lord. This grain is to be one gallon of fine flour mixed with olive oil. It's, and it's, as you can see, it's, anyway, he, there's some uh, discrepancies of volumes that they're trying to convert here. An offering made by fire to the Lord is a fragrant aroma. Its drink offering is to be wine, one quart. You are not to eat, to eat bread, dried grain, or fresh grain until the day you bring the offering to your God. This is a permanent regulation through all your generations, no matter where you are. From the day after the day of rest, that is, from the day you bring the sheaf for waving, this day after Passover, you are to count seven full weeks. Until the day after the seventh week, you are to count 50 days, and then you are to present a new grain offering to the Lord. You must bring bread from your homes for waving and so forth, okay? And it goes on. You get the point. The point is that there's this ceremony that symbolically offers up God this first fruit of the wheat harvest every single day for 40 days leading up to the day of Pentecost. So, Guess what? We live in Macon, Georgia. We don't live in Israel. There is no standing temple. 
There is no functioning priesthood at the moment. So how do we do this? Well, we can't, okay? But we can remember it. We can remember the practice by doing what's called counting the omer. And so how do you count the omer? If you want to look it up, when you have time, you can Google it. <clears throat> you can go to Chabad.org. You can download an app. Um, look in your app's um, store and just look for Count Omer, okay? And it'll pull it up. <clears throat> but it involves basically a blessing of intention, a proclamation of the Omer count, what day it is. And then um, last night we counted day 13 of the Omer. I hope I'm correct. <laughs> um, and we read Psalm, we do a concluding blessing, and then we read Psalm 67, which one of the reasons it uh, is picked is because it has 49 Hebrew words in the chapter that represent the 49 days um, each day of the Omer. And so how does all of this relate to killing time? Let's go back to our topic here. We are currently, as I said, living in the intermediate, intermediary days between Passover and Shavuot, Passover being the redemption, Shavuot commemorating what? The giving of the Torah. Okay? But unfortunately, <clears throat> most people don't count the Omer. Not even most Messianics, I, I don't think so. And unfortunately, many people who doubt, do count the Omer, they simply just do it to have their little check mark. Okay? But it's not to have a check mark, it's to anticipate. We could be using this time to our advantage to grow spiritually, intellectually, emotionally. But yet few of us take advantage of this. We're simply killing time. And it kills me to say that. Sorry. Or, fly, or flying through our day so fast that time can't keep up with us. <clears throat> Many of us continually say, including me, I don't have time for... And then... So that's a, that, that is a problem for me. I mean, you know, I have... A, a lot of discipline in certain areas of my life, but I still, quote, quote, find myself, as Rabbi, talks about John, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs saying, I find myself in this situation based on my choices. I, I, I say yes to too many things instead of guarding my time like I should. So how do we resurrect time now that we've been stabbing it to death? Pesach let me, let me just say, we need a concept first. We know why we're doing this. Pesach is called Zman Cherutenu, the, the time, literally, it can be called the season or the time of our freedom. It commemorates the redemption of the children of Israel delivered from Egypt. Egypt and Shavuot, it doesn't biblically, literally have a connection with any event. I don't know if you guys knew that. <clears throat> but biblically, if you read it, if you read the text, literally and not contextually and do some searching out of some things, it seems that Shavuot, this festival of weeks that God tells us to observe, is nothing more than a harvest festival. <clears throat> In Exodus 23, 15, it's called the festival of the harvest. In Exodus 34, 22, it's called the feast of weeks, the first fruit of the wheat harvest. References in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy of it being the, that a new grain offering of wheat is offered to the Lord. And it, so from all these references, it seems just that it's purely agricultural, right? 
Also, all of the other feasts, festivals, God gives a specific date for. Okay, let's go over some dates. So Passover, you slaughter the lamb on the 14th of Nisan. <clears throat> you eat the lamb or have the Passover Seder beginning in the evening of the 15th. Okay, you transition from afternoon to evening in those two days. You have um, Rosh Hashanah, or as the Bible calls it, Yom Teruah, the day of sounding, literally. Okay, um, And this is the first day of the Hebrew month of Tishrei, and the Bible says the seventh month, the first of the seventh month. Then you have Yom Kippur, Yom HaKippurim, the Day of Atonements, literally, which is the tenth day of the seventh month. And then on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, you have an eighth day long, debatable, um, holiday called Sukkot, or Feast of Booths. And on this, you know, you do all the things that related to that. And so you have all these things that are they're specific dates, but for Shavuot, we don't get a specific date. God doesn't tell us on the 6th of Sivan, which it falls on, to do this. He says, after the day of, of the Sabbath, and we're like, what Sabbath? And it's like, we have to realize it's the Sabbath of Passover, or actually Hag HaMotzot, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, then you're supposed to offer the grain offering, and you count 49 days, and then the 50th day is this special holiday. And like, what is up with that? I mean, this is like the mysterious holiday. I mean, it doesn't have any seemingly relevance and specificity, if I can say that. Um, And so why did God make it this way? I, I, I believe this. I believe just like that we count the days of the week in anticipation of Shabbat, which Actually, most of us don't because we live in a society which Hebrew is not our primary language. But in Hebrew, the days of the week, I don't know if you knew this, don't have names except for Shabbat. Sunday is Hayom Yom Rishon B'Shabbat. It's today is, you would say, today is the first day toward the Shabbat. And Monday would be. Hayom, so today is Yom Sheni B'Yom HaShabbat, is the second day towards the Shabbat, and so forth, all the way up to actual Shabbat. But Shabbat has its own name. It's called Shabbat. Okay? If you didn't know that. Sorry, I just try to educate people when I can. (laughs) But you know, just like we count up to Shabbat with the naming of the days of the week, we count up to Shavuot with the counting of the Omer in anticipation of something that great that's going to happen. I'm not going to go into the whole uh, aspect of wh- how we know it's the, the proper date and all that kind of stuff. We can talk about that at some point. But this is how we redeem or resurrect or sanctify time. We have an opportunity every single day, but especially during this time, to sanctify time. And some of you guys may, may be asking, you know, 
a lot of times we do countdowns to big events, right? A lot of churches have a big countdown before their service and everything. And I think we even may have a little thing online that we're doing now. But, you know, five minutes till service, four minutes, whatever. <clears throat> and we have the big New Year's, 10, 9, 8, 7. And we count down to this big celebration. But Shavuot, we count up. And I think that's related to how our anticipation should be. It shouldn't be dwindling. It should be increasing. Okay? Rather than counting down toward Shavuot, we count up toward toward it. Because each day leading up to it is not something to discard or check our list. It's another layer, another link, another page, and another opportunity we have to transition from who we were to who we want to become. Rabbi Damien has said several times over the last few weeks something to the effect of although that we don't have the ability to change the past, we can change the meaning of our past, right? Well, I'm going to add on to that and say that even, even though we have that ability, sometimes we look at our past and it's still there. And we wish we could change it. But guess what? We always have the ability to change our future. We always have the ability to change our future. We weren't redeemed to waste away our lives and our days. We were redeemed in order to labor for the kingdom, invest into others. We can turn our busyness, for busyness sake, into a meaningful investment of our time. So these are some things we've talked about here um, that I'll just throw out real quick. But if you haven't got the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, I recommend it. It's, it's a secular book, but it will help you institute life changes and you can put them on a spiritual level. Okay, um, And it's because this, this principle that he, he introduces is a lot of times we say, I want to do such and such. I, I set a goal and I want to do such and such. I want to lose 20 pounds or whatever, you know. And instead of... Uh, making lifestyle change that get us there. We go on a crash diet or that, and we may hit the goal, but then we're back to where we were two weeks later. So something better than setting a goal is to set a lifestyle, change our lives to becoming a different person that we want to be, be, right? Um. Some goals that we could be doing during this time is we could say, I want to study the Word of God daily. I want to make sure I, I know the Torah. I want to make, make sure I know the Gospels, the teachings of our Master. I want to engage in prayer. I want to exercise some, some just you know, non-spiritual stuff that, that we want life change about. Maybe you want to develop your skills in art or music. Or you want to write a book that you always wanted to. Maybe you want to reach out to the inmates and correspond with them who have hardly anybody that talked to them. Maybe you want to start writing encouraging letters to your families and friends that you haven't talked to in who knows how long. So really, to sum up everything that I'm trying to say is, The children of Israel were not the same people 
at Mount Sinai that they were when they left Egypt. They had an encounter with God. And even more obvious is that the apostles were not the same people at Pentecost as they were at Yeshua's crucifixion. They had an encounter. They had been renewed. They had come to Jerusalem with anticipation of what Yeshua had told them in Acts 1. And if you grew up in a Pentecostal tradition like I am, like I did, you memorize this passage, right? Uh, and now I just went blank. I had it in my mind as soon as I said that. I was like, oh, okay. Um, and you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and shall be my witnesses in, uh, in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? And so this is what it's all about, to have an encounter with God, be transformed, and then continue that path of transformation. This Shavuot, my question to you is, will you be the same person you were at Passover? As we count up towards Shavuot, what are you filling your days with? The revelation of Torah, the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, or Candy Crush and Netflix? <laughs> what are you anticipating this Shavuot? I want you to think about that. What are you anticipating this Shavuot? What do you expect to receive from Hashem on that 50th day? Are you preparing yourself to be a vessel that can receive that gift? Or are we already filled with so many things that we don't have room to receive anything? We can count every single day of the Omer, but still our days and be the same people today that we were yesterday. But I want to be transformed. How about you? Just like counting the days of the week keeps us focused on the coming Shabbat, counting the Omer each day is supposed to keep us focused on an anticipation of this momentous event. But we have to be intentional for this to happen. It's a wonderful goal to count every single day of the Omer, which we have tried and tried and tried for years and years, and like I think actually did it all like once or twice without missing days. But it's even better to make every single day of the Omer count. Yes, we may have had a heavy hand in killing time up to now, but we have the opportunity to resurrect it. So let's begin today and enjoy the benefits of a new future. Shabbat Shalom.